This episode of the Upper Left Performance Podcast is brought to you by Rock Daisy Athlete Management Systems. I've used a number of athlete management systems in my time as a strength coach, and none of them, uh, from what I've seen, has consolidated all of your data in one place as well as Rock Daisy does. Uh, the system is used by NFL, NBA, NHL, and NCAA teams across the country. And while they have extremely powerful and robust uh, system, you can also purchase, actually not purchase in this case, the free light system that they just released. And it is, of course, completely free, as I just mentioned. You can go to ams.rockdaisy.com and sign up for the free version. And these are some of the features that you're going to get out of this thing. Clear and simple charts right out of the box. Uh, a lot of that is done for you. So you plug in the data and then you're going to get some great visualizations right away. Uh, you'll be able to generate personalized athlete data collection forms and questionnaires. You'll be able to schedule data collection via mobile notifications or email in bulk to all recipients. So athletes, you know, in the past, we typically had to chase them down to get them to fill out questionnaires. In this case, all those questionnaires are going right to their phone or email so they can take care of it on their own time and you don't have to worry about chasing them down. You can also customize all your dashboards and reports so you can visualize it in a way that is pleasing to you and the coaching staff that you might be working with. Uh, and then you can, of course, export all of that data that you have on RockDaisy into popular tools like Excel, Adobe, and various PDF formats. Now, you're probably wondering, what kind of technical skills do I need to make all of this come to life? Well, the best part is it's all point-and-click technology. Uh, Rock Daisy's AMS works on any device, desktop or mobile, so you can get to it. However, it is the most convenient for you, depending on where you are in a given day. And of course, as I said before, all completely free in this case. No other athlete management system is offering a free version. There are free trials out there, but this is a completely free-to-use platform on ams.rockdaisy.com. So what are you waiting for? Visit the site right now. Nothing to download, no credit card. Just go sign up. Visit ams.rockdaisy.com and start improving your athlete and team's performance today. Welcome to the Upper Left Performance Podcast. I am your host, Jack Anderson, and today on the show, I am joined by Pratik Patel, who you can find on Instagram and Twitter at PratikXPatel. Pratik was most recently the Director of Performance Nutrition and an Assistant Strength and Conditioning Coach with the New York Giants. Prior to that, he was the Director of Sports Nutrition at the University of Oregon. He was also a sports dietitian at Michigan State University and with men's basketball at Kansas State University where he also earned a master's degree in kinesiology and a bachelor's degree in dietetics. Currently, Pratik is a PhD student and a consultant for various professional athletes and high-ranking business professionals. And I was initially attracted to him due to his extreme honesty in addressing the issues plaguing performance as it relates to team sport at the elite level right now. Um, I, I think that his willingness to tackle tough issues and then not only you know uh, raise awareness of issues but also potentially provide solutions to those issues um, was extremely positive and he was someone I wanted to get on the show in order to discuss uh, the state of 
uh, in, in essence, the state of strength and conditioning as it relates to team sport uh, currently. What resulted was a great conversation where we focused a lot on the collective bargaining agreement in the NFL, uh, the pros and cons of the CBA as it relates to uh, both player health and performance, and then, of course, uh, how we can kind of overcome some of the huge gaps in the offseason where it's hard to keep track of what players are doing and what their state of readiness might be heading into training camp. Pratik also addressed some of the issues pertaining to training camp in terms of the unpredictable schedule and the drastic changes uh, that a player undergoes uh, transitioning from the offseason into training camp. We also talked about the independence of the modern athlete and how uh, at times it can be very difficult to communicate to the athlete the importance of uh, periodizing and organizing training and being at a private facility in the offseason that uh, can address specific needs. We talked about communication between sport coaches and performance coaches and all, anyone involved in player development to ensure that player needs are being met and player needs are being agreed upon by everyone in, in, on a team so that a player can maximize his potential, especially with a short shelf life in the NFL. Um, and then we moved into talking about nutrition. Nutrition is an area that I know very, very little about. And Pratik provided some excellent uh, practical examples of how to address nutrition for athletes on a more individualized basis. In fact, I wish that I had um, not harped on some of the other topics quite as long so we could have done a deeper dive on nutrition. Perhaps I'll have to bring him back on sometime uh, to go more in depth on that side of things. But you can just feel uh, the, the knowledge and the experience coming through in the podcast with Pratik. Um, I think anyone who's interested in a career in team sport needs to think about the realities of the situation uh, before going in, and Pratik provided a really good overview of those sorts of things. Um, and I am extremely grateful to him uh, to come onto the podcast and kick things back off for a third season of the Upper Left Performance. And if anyone else has any suggestions for guests, um, topics to be discussed, etc., please feel free to send them my way. Again, my Instagram is Jack underscore Anderson III. Uh, but for now, let's look hear it from the man himself, Pratik Patel. Pratik, thank you so much, man, for, for joining the show. Really appreciate you uh, spending some time out of your day to come on. No, thanks for having me. Glad to, uh, glad to be here with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so first off, I kind of wanted you to give me a bird's eye view. You've had a lot of experiences in, in pro and elite sport. Um, and I know myself as a younger coach, you know, five, 10 years ago, uh, was very captivated by the allure of that that side of the field. And, um, I've had a little experience in it and I think I, I understand a little more of the realities of it, but you have had a lot more exposure than I have and probably most of the listeners. And I wanted to get, you know, before we dive into some of the nitty gritty things I wanted to talk about, uh, your bird's eye view of elite sport, kind of like the status of where it's at in terms of like sound training principles compared to like the realities of what's going on, on and off the field for these players and just kind of where you think it's at and, and what direction we might need to go in. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, it really does differ by sport, you know, so I've only worked quote unquote with elite athletes at the NFL level. Although I have a handful that I work with individually for, you know, in a variety of different ways, but I think you can you don't want to lump everything together because every, every sport's going to have a different off season. It's going to have different things that each 
player, each organization, each staff member coach is, you know, required to do. But, you know, I'll kind of concentrate a little bit more with the NFL because that's my bread and butter and what I've had mo the most experience with. I think every level, you know, whether it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, even now, understands that there are always things we can do to get better. We just have to kind of be very open about assessing, like, what does this look like? You know, what is the entire year, you know, calendar year? What are the opportunities that we have with the players? What are they doing on their own? When we have them, what exactly are we trying to achieve? Now, that could definitely be a lot different from what the expectation is coming from the people at the top. So whether it's the head coach, whether it's the GM, whether it's the president and owner. So I think a lot of times having a lot of colleagues and players and coaches that I know that are all around a variety of different leagues, it's interesting talking to them and learning about their situation. Now, there's a lot of room for improvement. You know, don't get me wrong. Like I've spent the past year or so kind of reassessing everything that I did over the past decade. You know, not putting other people under the gun, but putting me first and foremost, but then saying, like, OK, what could I have done better now? Can I take that information, do a little bit better with the people I'm working with or the people that I'm consulting with and trying to help out? But I think it, it's tough because with the NFL, if your team doesn't make it to the playoffs, you're done. So unfortunately, when I was in the NFL, we weren't able to make it to the playoffs. So our last game was either December 30th, 31st. 29th whatever it was and then you bring everybody back in for ex exit physicals and then you you know the head coach addresses the team unfortunately there was a lot of changeover and then the players are gone like you may not hear from them until april when they were going to come together with the entire team for the offseason training program so that leaves four months of them being on their own now a lot of guys a lot of the vets are smart they know exactly what they need to do they've been in the game they've they understood like I can take my time off here. I can spend time with family. I can decompress. I can travel the world or the, you know, around the United States, but still be able to get what I need to get done. And an, an interesting question. So I'm, I'm putting together a resource. I'm going to hopefully have it out at the beginning of next year. So I'm getting a lot of information from players, current players, former players, players that have retired. And what I found was an overwhelmingly, you know, consistent thing was, coming from the coaching staff, I asked them like, okay, did your coaches, did your position coaches, whoever, did they tell you exactly what you need to work on in the off season? Because, you know, you're with them from July until December. So it's, it's a long time. And, and the position coaches, the coordinators, they have the eye, they know exactly what these guys need to work on outside of, Oh, you need to block better. You need to develop more strength and toughness and quickness and uh, all that stuff, or you need to catch the ball better. I'm like, yeah, you know, every person needs to do that. We know that, but specifically like this guy, what does he need to do to get better? Because everybody's different. And most of them, like almost every single one of them said, nobody actually broke it down and said, look, these are the tangible elements that are going to make you successful within your position. Now, this is where you're at. And this is where you could potentially be at. Even if you're an all pro, you know, even if you're Saquon Barkley, you could still improve upon a variety of different things. And that should be something that can come intrinsically within them. Each player should want to do that. But I found that to be very interesting because then these guys go off to God knows where. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of really good strength coaches, performance centers, trainers that know exactly what these guys need to be doing to get them prepared for off-season training. And then they leave and then they come back. 
but then you have, I mean, you've seen it. You've got the Instagram things, the things like ESPN likes to pick up on and post on Twitter and uh, instead of these, you know, guru coaches that want to do something crazy or sexy. And it's like, that's not going to help this guy get better at his position. That's going to get likes. It's going to get shares. It's going to get follows. And the guys think they need to do something crazy and outlandish when the bread and butter for anything, any kind of training program is, you know, do the sound movements properly, but then address what you need to work on. Um, and, and one of the biggest things that I, I was able to learn and see getting the guys in all different types of shape. So who knows what they were doing when they returned back with the team in April. So that was kind of like for us, when we see the guys, it's like, oh, it's great to see them again. But at the same time, if we hadn't had a lot of contact with them, because we couldn't reach out to them based on, you know, CBA and NFL rules, if they wanted to reach out to us and start a dialogue and they had questions like, yeah, we could talk to them. Like, we don't know what shape these guys are in. You know, we don't know what they've been doing. How has that either helped them or hurt them? Have they improved upon the things that we felt that they could prove it upon? So a lot of it was on us, too. To, we should have taken more time to say, hey, you need to do this, this, this in the weight room. Your health status is here. We need to do this, this, this and this. But there's so many things that we could have done hindsight. We just didn't take advantage of. I'm, I'm going to uh, cut so, in for just a second. I'm actually curious back to the yeah. sport coaches kind of not giving specific feedback to guys that would need it. Why, why do you think that is like, obviously it can be hard if you don't have like an assessment process or a procedure when watching game film, for example, I imagine to like go through a checklist of things to see if a guy is meeting the criteria and the standard that you want for whatever position it is. Do you think there's just not a process for that or uh, like, why is there not that direct feedback from sport coaches getting back to the players? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think it's probably being dumb done at certain places. I don't want to speak for every single team, but what I've experienced in the players that I've worked with, they have been around a ton of different teams. One, I don't think the coaches do have that kind of process. And there's definitely not enough communication between the higher ups and the coaching staff. And then the performance staff, just in terms of, Hey, like, this is the guy I have. What do you see? What do I see? You know, is it the same thing? Do we mesh with what we view this player as where he potentially could be better? Or is there just an expectation where, oh, he's in the weight room, they're going to figure it out. But and that's the thing. That's one of the biggest barriers between sport coaches and performance coaches and the performance staff is we don't necessarily have that eye that they do. If we did, we'd be the freaking, you know, sport coaches making 10 times as much. But we don't because we see something in health and performance. And that's what our MO is. We see our own KPIs, but do they overlay and mesh with them? And a lot of times the answer is no. Like <laughs> this is another thing I'll bring up. And one of the reason why I wanted to put together a resource is, you know, over a decade, I never sat down with the entire performance staff, the entire coaching staff, you know, whether it was the ADs or the GMs, whoever in a room and just went through each player line by line and said, okay, we want to identify and address what is this team about? What does the head coach want and work backwards? So what does it mean in terms of the players we have? How do we develop them physically to match what the expectation is? Because the owner or the, you know, AD or whoever says, this is how we need to be. And, and again, it could be out there, you know, I'm not saying it isn't, but from the conversations I've had with dozens and dozens of people across pro sport, that never happens. Maybe once. So go by each player, say, okay, position coaches, coordinators, what do you see in this guy? 
Okay, what's good? Great. What's bad? What does he need to improve upon? Strength coaches, how do you guys see that? Is this something that can be done? So, and then you go from the performance staff, medical staff, what's holding him back? What are your, your fears or your thoughts on this player? Is this a guy, you know, we need to sign long-term and if we end up doing it, how can we take care of him if we're investing a significant amount of money in him? That stuff never happens. So that, that's one piece. The other is uh, players are traded in and out so frequently. The roster turns over. So my first year was in 2017. I left the team at the end of training camp last year. So almost a full four years. There were three guys left on the roster in 2020 that I started with. So it's like in their head, they kind of know like, all right, this is what, who the 10 to 25 guys we know are definitely going to be on the team. Yeah. We're going to add 35 to 40. And then you have draft picks, you have the rookie class and then free agency. So sometimes they don't want to invest that extra time knowing like, Hey, he's a fringe guy. He's not really going to see any time, but at the same time, look, look, this guy, even if he's a fringe guy, we see it all the time. Players go from undrafted to practice squad to special teams to, yeah, now they're making significant contributions. And I think that that's something that shouldn't just be pushed to the wayside. And then the third thing is <laughs> the co coaches also get traded in and out quite a bit, you know, NFL, not for long. So, uh, you know, you had, you had quite a bit in New York, right? Like at least two while you were there, huh? Yeah. So I started with coach McAdoo and he was let go. Coach Fags took over at the end of the season. Um, he was let go. And then Pat was hired in 2018. Oh yeah. Wow. And then judge damn. And then he was let go. <laughs> yeah, and, then, yeah. and then coach judge was, uh, Joe was hired in 2020. So, I mean, with each person you had their own staff. So sometimes, and everybody's doing it in a different way, you know, um, I think those are the reasons why, unfortunately. Um, well, let's, let's take that to account and like all the turnover you're getting on, on the football side of things. And I know the strength staffs usually go hand in, or sometimes will go hand in hand with the coaching staff, but I think you guys, and I could be wrong. I think you guys were relatively stable on the, on the performance side while you were there. Am I wrong? No, no, you're right. Uh, okay. that, that was something that was very, you know, fortunate for us. And I wasn't expecting, you know, 10 games into my first year, it's like, we already knew the writing was on the wall. Like we started out 0-6. We got our first win at Denver in week seven and it was just going to be an uphill climb and it just kept going down. And that was just the reality we were facing. I'm like, okay, well, you know, probably going to get let go when you bring in a new yeah. uh, head coach. I mean, no hard feelings. I completely understand because when you see things not working out right, a head coach is going to want to bring in people that he's familiar with and trusts. And that happens all the time. And people are wondering, like, why do good people let go? I'm like, this is the reason why. Because you only have – you've got very little contributions to wins and losses. It's more of, you know, things that are happening on the back end. But, you know, fortunately for us, we the, – the players and the organization and the coaches kind of saw the value that we had with what we were putting together. And, you know, and, and coaching staffs and people – around the league know who's good and who isn't and players do too. And they're not afraid to voice it. You know, it's a player's league. You see the things that they put out there all the time. <laughs> For sure. So if, if something isn't working or <laughs> uh, it's just not right, like they're going to let the new coach and the new staff or, you know, the president or the GM know what's going on because yeah, you know, if, if it's not contributing to wins and losses and it's not positively adding value to an organization, like why should that person be in their role? you know, with, with any role, but 
Um, so yeah, I was like, after 2017, got an extension to 18, got an extension to 19, got an extension to 20, got an extension to 21. The 21 is the one I didn't sign. I mm-hmm. got that back in March of 2020 because I was still thinking like, okay, what exactly is it that I want to hope to achieve? And is, is staying here going to allow me to do so? For sure. Um, given that it was pretty stable, I'm kind of curious then like as you went, I'm sure there was a process in place for you guys to get a, you know, some sort of standardized assessment on incoming players. Um, did that process kind of evolve as you go? Um, and it got like more airtight in terms of like picking out things that you could, um, identify more readily in players since you have such a short window, I imagine like, it's just good to kind of make that process more and more airtight, uh, given just how long they're with you sometimes. Um, did you find like that process of whatever assessment or in like, I guess, onboarding for these players that you had, did you find it got better as it went or were there like big holes in it? Do you think? I mean, there, there are always holes in anything you do when you find something you're comfortable with and you do it and you realize like, that's not exactly the way that we want to continue doing because we implemented it. And now we get a chance to evaluate it. So you try something new and then you realize, okay, this is, a little bit better, but it still is a work in progress. And then you refine it and then you try it again the third year. And that's why it's so tough. Like when you're working in anything, if it's, if it's college, if it's pro, you, you're not going to hit a home run out the gate. It's going to take time and you need a level of consistency and support. Same thing with a head coach too. You know, if you don't have a roster that's competitive and you know that you're in a rebuild and in the NFL, like these things can sometimes take time, especially if you're hit with a bunch of dead money And you don't have any money to spend on the positions that you need. It's tough, but, you know, we, we felt fairly comfortable with the assessments we had when we were allowed time to do it with the players. And that was generally during off season training and then heading into training camp. The, the thing that we could have done a lot better on was with the new acquisitions, the free agents and the people that were signed during the season, you know, sometimes it's, and it happens all the time. Like, you know, guys come in for a tryout or somebody gets cut from another team, either the the upper management or coaches have familiarity with that person. They're like, yeah, you know, we, this guy's going to help us out. He's better than who we have at this position. So the pieces are always changing. And that's the job of, you know, upper management and the GM to make sure that the roster is as good as it can be given the situation. So if you're, you know, cornerback heavy and you're thin at linebacker, and somebody cuts a linebacker and you're like, yeah, we need this guy. We're going to ship a cornerback out or cut them. And it's just, that's just how it is. You know, it's not personal. It's, it's, the, it's their job. It's what they're supposed to do when developing a roster, but guys would come in like on a Wednesday, go through their physical, physical is good. You know, they'd get thrown out in practice. And then, you know, if the lift was a post practice lift, the first time we would see them would be in the weight room. It's like, Oh man, we don't know anything about this guy. We have to, you know, guide him through the lift. So that takes, you know, one of the strength coaches out and making sure that he's comfortable with uh, what's going on in the weight room, what the expectation is. We don't know how strong he is. We don't know, you know, what kind of movement qualities he has or doesn't have, Um, you know, from one, the other part of my role is, oh, I don't know what's going on under the hood. Like how is he health wise? What does he need nutritionally? Um, You know, we don't have that much data on him. So that's where we could have streamlined that a little bit better in terms of, all right, if we have the people and in, in personnel and upper management know who they're bringing in and like, yeah, we're definitely signing this guy. Okay. Can we do a better job of learning more about him before we throw him to the fire? 
as because these guys they're getting on red eyes they're flying in late you know after the physicals are done and they're ready to go like one they're tired two they haven't eaten in hours you know they're probably dehydrated and then they're expected to go out to a practice and we don't know what shape they're in you know can they handle the demands of practice you know especially if it's a wednesday thursday so that's where and again it's tough it's easy to say that here but knowing that there's so many moving pieces you only have x amount of time with the guys that would make that would require everybody to be on on top of their communication have a process in place that everybody is aware of and comfortable with and then once you get information from the player where does that go like who's going to be the gatekeeper and how do they disseminate that and again that's that's where i feel like we could have been a lot better i think when we had more time to put together like okay this is what the movement screen is going to look like this is what medical is doing this is what we're going to do from a strength and conditioning perspective this is how we're going to track and measure you know blood work and 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 body composition and weights and assess sleep and all that kind of stuff but then when you get thrown into the fire when you're thinking about every single player that you have to kind of have a conversation with or do something for then a lot of that stuff gets put on the back burner if you don't have the appropriate number of staff or resources to be able to help do exactly what you want to do, but that's life. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting you say that. Cause um, so I, I work at P3. I don't know if you know that, uh, that spot out in Santa Barbara, we would do a lot of stuff with basketball players and I think it's like 15 years now they've been doing it. We have a pretty substantial database, like using a lot of the same tests over the last 15 years. So it's pretty cool mm-hmm. to like, you know, we, we have, we're able to compare a lot of elite athletes, which is pretty neat. Cause we know we're doing the same thing every time with them in terms of an assessment. And, um, but it is interesting when you get some guys in, it's, it's that same thing where they're, they're in for a couple of days, they've flown in, like they're really not in the mood to do an approach jump, which is part of like what we're doing. So we cut it, you know? And it's interesting you say that. Cause it's like, you want to cross off all your, bo- check off all your boxes in terms of like all the things you mentioned, but at the end of the day, like he can only, that player can only take so many inputs on such short notice. Right. Which really can kind of like on one hand hamper, maybe your process of doing everything ideally, but at the end of the day, the, t- the time is so short. That's just, sometimes it's not going to be the way it shakes out. Right. Yeah. And I think one of the big thing too, big things there is players get, you know, poked and prodded and tested. Exactly. Left, right, they don't front, like that. Center. Yeah. <laughs> they don't want that. But I, I think we, we, we sometimes do it just, unconsciously because it's a part of the routine and the players get used to it because that that's part of the routine, especially if they've been around to a handful of uh, different teams, different spots, but just taking the time to explain the why I think is one of the biggest things that doesn't happen well enough. Like, Hey, we're going to do this assessment and, th- and this is why, and this is how it can help you. And this is why it's important. You know, it doesn't have to be a long elaborate talk. It could just be something very superficial, you know, spoken to them so they can understand it. And that way it's, it's like, okay, there's a reason I understand the reasoning why they want to do this. And when I get the information, I can use this to help myself out. Now a lot of players don't care, but at that level, a lot of players do because they become, they realize that, Hey, my body is my ability to make a living. And if something's wrong or is there something I don't know about, I want to, you know, catch it before, because a lot of these guys aren't going to be, you know, they're not on the big money contracts. They're the ones that are fighting for a roster spot. You know, they're the ones that know like, Hey, it's going to be three years or less or four years or less. And then that's it. Um, let's shift over. You mentioned the CBA a little bit. Um, and I, it's honestly something, sometimes I talk to people and they like have no idea, just random people are not like in what we do. 
And they're like, Oh, the CBA is fantastic for players because they get all this free time off and like, blah, blah, blah. And like the players association of course is gonna, gonna stand by that. And, and it makes sense from a very, like, I guess myopic viewpoint to have four months away from your facility doing whatever you want. Like in some ways, I think that's pretty cool. You get a lot of independence, like it's neat, but at the end of the day, you and I both know, and you've mentioned it and touched on it a little bit already that can kind of work against them. Once you start exposing them to higher loads, like in training camp, for example, we've seen all the charts of, of soft tissue injuries, non-contact Achilles and ACLs being at their highest rate of incidence uh, early in training camp and, and whatnot. And I was wondering if you kind of give me a little insight and in like whether you think the players association and, and maybe some of the guys who are a little more cognizant of these things are aware that, there's going to there there's potential a lot of fallout from the way the CBA is set up right now. Yeah. And I, I think it goes both ways. There are a lot of guys that are very aware of it and they know that change is needed, but at the same time, it's all about what the majority wants. So the majority votes, it's not, you know, the hundred million dollar guys that are making all of the decisions that, you know, if you're a quarterback and you're very well vested and you know, the offense and you know, everything about the team, like why would you want to go to off-season training <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, and spend, yeah, exactly. you know, eight weeks having to, you know, go through that schedule when for you, it's not going to add a lot of value to you, but for the other guys that are trying to fight for a roster spot who don't know the system, I mean, they need that time. The rookies, they need to be exposed to, this is what NFL is. Everybody thinks they have an idea of what it's like. You know, I was like that, you know, when I worked in college before I got in and then you get thrown into it and you're like, okay, uh, it's definitely a lot different than what I imagined it to be because perception is only what you're, you're exposed to as opposed to what you think it should be. But, uh, and then again, the tough thing is it's, it's finding that balance between the players want to work less, but they want more money. The owners want them to work more, but they want them to pay less. And so the, the main overarching themes are how can you make both sides happy while continuing to support the health and the performance and deliver all these initiatives. So that, that's the tough thing where players don't necessarily realize, like they don't have the background in physiology. They don't understand what appropriate ramp up periods are and how they want to make sure that they're periodizing and getting to a certain level before they get exposed to what they get thrown into training camp. And that's why it's, it's so tough. And the same thing happens in, in college with football is you have, you know, winter conditioning going to spring ball, and then you have summer conditioning going to training camp. The NFL is similar. It's just we don't have the players for the entire year. So it's time off, then it's off-season training, then it's, you know, five, six weeks off, and then you're in training camp. And the tough thing is you've got a lot of rules mandated against you in terms of that off-season training program. Like, all right, first two weeks, it's, you know, phase one. It's just strength and conditioning. Then the next two weeks, you get a little bit of field time, but, you know, you can't go offense versus defense. You can't use a ball. You can't, you know, can't do X, Y, and Z. And then you get into phase three OTAs. All right, now they're practicing, but you can't, you know, tackle, thud. You only thud. You, can, you can't wrap, take them down to the ground. And, you know, there's no pads. It's all shells until you get to mandatory minicamp. And then you, you program it appropriately. So the players don't realize, like, they, they know that the only way to get in football shape is to play football. So you've got, you know, certain amount of workloads and then they get their five, six weeks off. And now all of a sudden you go from them being in vacation mode because a lot of them aren't necessarily training at a super high level the way that they need to, to be ready for training camp. 
it's very relaxed for those five to six weeks. Probably, you know, guys are flying all over the world or all over the country, just chilling out, sleeping in, um, waking up whenever they want to, you know, hopefully maintaining their body weight. But most of them are lifting. Some of them, you know, they're really taking it seriously and doing the on-field work that they need to. But there, there's no amount of sprinting you can do by yourself to get you ready for the, for the loads that you're going to be exposed to unless you have a coach that's really smart to say, okay, we need to think about this. This is where we want the guys to be, but we know guys are going to be all up in here, not ready for any of it. So that's why you see these sharp increases in all these incidences of soft tissue injury, because really the guys aren't ready for the workload. It, ha it happens more so in college. And I'm talking to a lot of, you know, strength coaches in college and like their coaches are putting 1.5 to two time game loads on these players and practices, oh, you know, wow. stringing these practices together. Yeah. And that's why they're having all these injuries, all these issues thinking like, this is how it's going to get the guys in shape. I'm like, you're, you're just basically frying them and yeah, they'll get in shape. They'll, you know, over the next few weeks, they'll be able to adjust to the workload, but the damage has already been done. And now you're going into a season where the guys just can't function you know, I was actually going to ask you it. that too. That's very interesting because you'd think if the strength and conditioning is being applied properly, like just without thinking about that, um, they'd be ready for these loads because they have a little bit more time with the strength and conditioning and performance side of things in college, right? But well, you're also limited to hours too. Oh, that's so right. even that's in the right. summertime, right. you've got yeah. an hour restriction. So yeah. it doesn't matter how much conditioning or how much running you were going to do, you just don't have enough time to get them to where they would need to be to handle those loads in camp, you know, 1.5 to two times, yeah. you know, game volume. That's insane. That's insane. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's and not then, just, Oh, we're going to do this once a week. It's like, okay, we're, you know, if, if they don't periodize it properly, you're going to, some teams are like high, 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 low. And then high, high. It's like, <laughs> Oh man, yeah, this is, yeah. this is a disaster. Instead of, all right, low, low build up high. We're going to have a game type load here. And then obviously, you know, CNS is going to be fried from that. We need to make sure 48 to 72 hours, we'll be able to get them fresh and then hit it hard again. So it could be 1.25, you know, 1.5 game loads, but they're ready for it. And one of the biggest things people don't think about, and, you know, sometimes I try to get it across in tweets and, and Instagram posts and get it shared to high school, college and pro coaches is the training camp schedule is something they're not used to. So for the past, whatever, eight to 12, five, six weeks, they're used to this schedule, waking up at this time, eating at this time, lifting at this time, doing field work and being able to relax and recover. So a lot of these guys that guys that were able to, Oh, I've been able to gain strength and size and I've been able to maintain my weight. I'm like, yeah, that's going to get thrown out the door the second you get to camp because now you're, you're transitioning it completely. Now they're lifting at a different time. They're training at a different time. The training volumes are through the roof. They're eating at a different time. So again, it doesn't follow chrono nutrition. So they're not used to eating at those times. So they can't force themselves. So you have energy expenditures through the roof. They're sweating a lot more. Carbohydrate demands are through the roof. And now they can't eat because they're just not used to that schedule. And now they're getting pushed you know, where you have like three meals, a snack and plus whatever else. And evening meetings, they're on their feet even more, even though they're not doing anything where it's a walkthrough, they're still on their feet out in the heat. You're the, that's why the energy demands are, are insane. So their, their bodies and minds are stressed. You know, they're not recovering. They're exposed to blue light underneath, you know, inside the building all the time. They're not sleeping very well. So you can see why you go through this period here and then the expectations here, but the guys are just for the two to three to four weeks of camp, 
they're holding on for dear life. And, and same thing, the coaches are going through the same schedule too. The staff members are doing the same thing too. And that's why you have so many problems with training camp. It's like training camp is built for you to fail in terms of what you would actually want to get out of it, as opposed to looking at it objectively and thinking like, we got to get these guys out of here because even if you have diligent players that are studying the playbook, they're looking at a screen 11 o'clock at night past that. If you look at brain chemistry and what it actually does to the body, it's more detrimental for them to do that in terms of learning, in terms of recovery, than to say like, Hey, I'm just going to put this down and we'll wake up early and then attack it and try to learn then. So there's a lot of things that come into play that nobody thinks about that. And again, in a perfect world, yeah, we would be able to account for all of that stuff, but, it's one of the biggest reasons why so many teams struggle is no one's even thinking about it. Um, let's say you have you, the you know, keys to the kingdom for a day. <laughs> what are, what are some like big changes you'd make? Like maybe a couple for the training camp process then like, is there a way to fix this problem or is it kind of is what it is? No, there's a way to approach it. And a lot of like, I've seen some videos of how some of the NFL coaches are approaching it. Some are structuring the practices just with ideal workloads where it's like, we got to build them up. Because they have to know mentally, like, if we have a high day, you guys have to be fresh, but you have to go for it. You know, you can't just lollygag and go through it just because you had, you know, low days or extra days off to recover. I think that's a big thing is, is practice structure, but you also want to look at the daily structure and maybe even get that information out to the players in advance so they could get, you know, two, whatever, one, two weeks under the belt of saying, like, okay, I know when I'm going to have to wake up and lift i know when practices i know when the meal times are i know when we're going to be in meetings so they can adjust to that and be ready for it as opposed to like guys flying in the sunday before to do their physicals and then like hey starting at 6 a.m tomorrow even though you know you haven't woken up at 6 a.m in you know three months and you've been staying up until 1 2 3 a.m like well now if you do that you're going to be screwed because the morning starts at this time, everybody has to check in. So I think he's just being much more aware of what is it that they're trying to achieve out of that session the entire day? What are they trying to teach the players in meetings and understanding like time spent on the field, overall physical fatigue is directly going to be correlated to mental fatigue. And if they can't learn, if they're falling asleep, if they're exhausted, it's not their fault. It's just the demands that are imposed upon them and they're just flying along so if you want them to be more refreshed for practices, you have to periodize practice appropriately. You have to really facilitate and encourage recovery, sleep, like get them out of the building. You know, don't keep them till nine, 10 o'clock at night when it's like, look, they should, they should be in bed at nine and 10 o'clock because if you're going to wake them up and have them lift at 6 a.m. or whatever it is, like they need the appropriate amount of sleep. But a lot of these guys, obviously, you know, individually, they're going to study they're going to do whatever. They're not used to going to bed that early. So again, that, another thing that shifts bedtime. So I think there's a lot that could potentially be done. You just have to look at, you know, what is the team trying to achieve at each stage, like each day over the course of a week? And how do you maximize that physically? And, and it's the reason why players struggle and they have all these injuries and concussions and soft tissues because mentally they're, they're, they're fried. Like they can't handle the demands of what's being placed upon them. Um, this made me thinking of something like, I guess, like message monotony too. I mean, like, it seems like I, I did, I worked for the bills for a year and um, I really enjoyed like training camp. It's fun. Everyone's excited, but I'm 
smart enough to like observe players and realize many of them hated it. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, you just got the, the vibe from the coaching staff when I was there. It's like, you get the same message every day of a hundred percent, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, but the, the inputs for what a hundred percent was, was the same. The expectations for what that was, was the same every single day. There is no layering of just the overall stressors that the body's facing from both a mental and physical standpoint. Is that kind of like what you're getting at there? Yeah. Yeah. You just hit the nail right on the head. Like the coaches expect the players to be ready to go hundred percent every single day, but not realizing like, look, if you blast them with practice and walkthroughs and jogthroughs or however they want to do it and, you know, time spent on the feet and not giving them enough time to actually, you know, rehydrate, eat, uh, take time for themselves to kind of decompress. If you're throwing information at them from, from every which way, trying to get them to learn, we know that learn, like it's the reason why some people are very successful with learning and implementing new things it all has to do with the chemistry and what's going on in the brain. Like how functional is the brain going to be able to receive this information, process it and store it. So you can't just lecture, 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 lecture. Nobody learns by being lectured and taught to like a lot of players have to do it. And every player learns in a different way. And are you, you know, are your methodologies, if you're a position coach, do you understand how each one of your players like learns and how much time they need to be lectured to or talked to, or do we have to run through it? you know, physically for them to get through the motions of doing the reps, you know, mentally and physically. And I think, as you said, you, you're layering all these things on top of all these different stressors that they're not used to. That's the biggest thing. It's not that they can't handle it. It's just they're not used to it. And that's where a lot of the players just have issues. Um, one last question on the CBA. Um, in what you've said and everything, just given like the, the nature of the off season, that five to six week break uh, between I think it's like the, the last like mini camp you have and then going into training camp. Would that be best to just find a way, like in a perfect world, again, if you could like eliminate something in CBA or alter it, would it be a, a finding a way to keep players at the facility for that time? Or what, what's a good way to kind of like mitigate that layoff period? What you would potentially do is you, and just it's the same thing with the college. You would get rid of that off-season training program and push it towards training camp. Just so it's all together. So it's all together. Okay. So there's no break. So you can properly assess your players. So if you need extra time to get the players where they need to, you can steadily increase those loads and get them ready for training camp and then enter into a training camp. That's what, you know, but again, <laughs> another 10 years of the CBA, it's not going to change until <laughs> they vote on it in 20, uh, yeah, 2029. Do you, do you think that um, players will start to become more aware of this some, some way, somehow in the next 10 years and maybe like decide to advocate for something like you're suggesting? I think more aware. It's just, it, it's tough because if you would ask people about the previous CBA, the one that went from 2010 to 2020, was it successful? I'm like, yeah, the NFL is the biggest pro sports league in the entire world. <laughs> yes. Like, even though it's concentrated and only played in one country. So, I mean, there's fascination everywhere. It's grown significantly. You've seen the salary caps rise. You've seen the salaries rise. You've seen the money being brought in is continuing to rise. So that's at the end of the day, that's going to be the overarching decision maker is money. And that's why a lot of teams 
continue to do what they do is because as long as the money's rolling in, no one really wants to change anything because change is scary. What happens if you change and, uh, you know, you don't get the same benefit or you're yeah. not bringing in the same amount of money. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. That's, it's going to be interesting. I'm, I've, I feel like it's something like, I feel like you've been a really good advocate for it on social media for the last you know year since you've, since you've left. And like, I don't know, I it's, we see it with our NBA players who trickle in and out during the off season. It's just like, man, if they just knew, cause we have some guy, like we have a guy right now who's like a seven year vet in the NBA and he's, sw- he's swung by, he's training with us right now. And like, He's like, man, I wish that like four years ago, I took this a little more seriously instead of just flying all over the world and then just dropping into training camp. And, you know, and, and you just see it as the players get older, if they have longevity in these leagues that they start to value it a little more. And, you know, again, that's kind of unfortunate because the NFL guys last for about what, two years is the average, <laughs> average yeah. lifespan. So, so you maybe you never really come to that, re, you know, that realization, but hopefully it does. I think it'd be really cool if it did. And we were able to kind of like make some strides in that direction. So. Yeah, I think I think it's just, again, the older players, the ones that have been successful, have made a lot of money that know what you need to do and that are doing it, continuing to share that information in the locker room with the younger players that they're dealing with. Because the, the biggest issue that I saw was not rookies. It was rookies going from their first year to their second year, because when you get a rookie, it's after um, they had been training for the combine or, you know, senior bowl, whatever they were a part of. And then they're still training, training, training. There's mentality like, oh man, I, you know, I got to continue to prove myself. I've got my pro day with my school and then they get drafted and, you know, you've got your, um, you know, rookie mini camp and then you bring everybody in, whoever gets selected. And then they get thrown into the offseason training program kind of in the middle and they're super excited. You know, they're kept in the building because you have an onboarding, you have your player personnel and your player directors and everybody that's kind of teaching them the ropes and bringing in speakers and other, you know, older players that are teaching them. So they go into the rookie season and a lot of these guys ball out because, you know, physically they're ready for it. And mentally they're, they're in this state of mind to say, okay, I, I need to prove myself. And then after the rookie year, nobody's holding their hand like they did in college. You know, no one's telling you like, hey, this is this is the lift group you're in. You're lifting at 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. And this is what we're doing. You know, everybody scripts it out for them. Now they're on their own, especially if your team doesn't make it to the playoffs. You have January to April to try to figure it out. And a lot of guys aren't able to figure it out. And that's why you see them just drop off during that second year because they, ha- they don't know how to periodize and put together a proper offseason. The vets do. The ones that have stuck around, they're like, okay, this is my family time. I'm training here for two weeks. I'm going here for two weeks. I'm training here. They have all that kind of put t- together. Um, and that's one of the biggest things that we saw. It's like, man, this guy, like w- the facility is open to anybody who wants to come in. So we would have anywhere from like five to 10 guys in every single day. You know, some guys bought houses, condos, whatever, and they set up shop there because they have families. They don't want to keep moving their families all around. They want them to be there. So they would we would have like, Hey, these are the lift times that we're going to be able to oversee you because you can't again with the CBA, you can't, can't directly lift coach them. them you can be there to <laughs> yeah, just yeah. observe and make sure they don't hurt themselves. Yeah. And you can't take them out on the field to train them. They have to do it on their own. Receivers can't catch passes from quarterbacks on facility property because the CBA doesn't allow them. But if there's a person who's rehabbing through an injury, return to play, that like you can implement that stuff. You can have a strength coach out there. You have an athletic trainer out there that can use props as long as it's return to play. As you know, as you get closer and closer to return to play, you're going to be doing more and more sports specific activities to get them ready for that. 
So the rules are, are crazy. So there would be times where randomly, like after two or three months, somebody would pop in at the end of March. Like, hey, can I get a lift in? Like, yeah, great. You know, let's catch up. What's been going on? Uh, how are you doing? You know, um, oh, I've been great. You know, I've just been hanging out here in Jersey or in New York for the past few months. We're like, wait, where have you been training at? Oh, you know, I haven't really been training. It's like, you were here the whole time and you didn't tell us? It's, it's that kind of mentality. It's like, holy cow, you've lost three months. And now you're going to try to speed up. And they're always like, yeah, what, what lift do I need to do? It's like, well, you know, strength qualities are easy to gain and maintain. Like you need to develop, like, let's see what your aerobic capacity is. Have you done any type of, you know, excels, decels, sprinting, change of direction? It's like, oh man, like that's the stuff that we were dealing with sometimes. Uh, do you find it like, I feel like 10, 15 years ago, like Exos was the spot, right? Like for all these guys. And like, that was kind of the destination. And now, I don't know, now that this is my, I've been about a year and a half in the private sector. And so I've connected with more people. And it seems like there's just, I don't know if you call them necessarily solid options all the time, but there are options everywhere for off-season trainings for these guys. Like there, you can go pretty much to any major city and there's an option for you. Um, have you, were you able to leverage that while you were, you know, with the team in order to like facilitate these guys getting to the facilities they need to be? Or like, did you find, like, is it easier now to do that if guys are bought into it or? I, I think it, it kind of depends upon what you have available to them or for them, you know, lo location is everything. So a lot of people don't want to just stick around in Jersey or New York during that time frame because, you know, from January to March, it's so cold. You it don't want to be in Buffalo in January. Yeah. Oh, yeah. two years there. <laughs> and, and I don't blame them. Look, it's their life. Like you mentioned before, um, they're going to be traveling. They're going to be whatever. And they should feel absolutely 100% confident and comfortable in doing so, you know, intelligently you know, put together your, your off season vacations and X, Y, and Z and enjoy the money that they've made, you know, be, be with your family, go down to Florida, Texas, California, you know, the warmer environments, Arizona, because that's where they want to be during that time frame. They don't want to be in cold and cold and cold because, you know, the latter half of the season in Jersey, and I actually really after like week two or three, it's, it gets in the colder weather and that's what they've been used to for, you know, almost three months. And they want to get away and there's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, the facility, we try to make it as encouraging for them to stick around. So whether it was personnel putting them in conjunction with some kind of internship with something going on in New York City, because obviously New York City is massive. If you leverage the relationships you have when your career is done, you can have something to fall back into, which could potentially I mean, if you do it right, it can make you even more money unless, you know, you're making 50 mil a year as a QB in the NFL. Um, but a lot of the guys, they just want to get away, you know, depending on, you know, unless you're training or your facility and your teams in, you know, Texas, Arizona, California, or Florida, but still, it's just, it's, they, they want their own time. And there's nothing wrong with that. In my opinion, as long as it just allows them to feel free and more confident and, and de-stress and get mentally into a place where they can get ready for the physical. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned, uh, just kind of talking to some players and like building relationships with them. Obviously we all know that's super important to, to get your points along a lot uh, or points across. Um, one thing I know for myself that I want to get better at as a coach. And I think from observing other coaches, it's something they need to. Um, I feel like a lot of us come with a lot of ex expertise in certain areas and a lot of knowledge. Uh, what's some ways that you've been able to kind of like 
get your expertise because obviously you have a lot of it in certain areas get your expertise across to a player in a way that gets that to align with like his realities does that make sense yeah Um, yeah what's like getting on his level but not letting your message get watered down you know to the point where it's not effective i think for me and it's been an ongoing process and i'm definitely a lot different when I approach it now than I was like, you know, as you start out as a coach or practitioner, you feel like you have all the information in the world. You're going to save every player and (laughs) you're going to help them out with every problem that they have. But in reality, I mean, that's just not how it works. So what I like to do is just kind of just take all my preconceived notions and everything I know and just throw it out the window because what I know doesn't mean anything until I put myself in the position of what this player is going through. Like if I could spend 24 hours or a week, next to this player and just see everything that they go through. What do they experience? What are they doing? Try to get more of an idea of what their mindset is and then, and then develop that relationship and meet them where there are, where they're at. Cause a lot of guys, they, they know things are important, but they're just bombarded with so much information. It's hard for them to prioritize. What should I pay attention to? Oh, well, community service told me about this. The trainers say, Hey, I need to take, you know, the Norma tech home and do this, this, and this. The strength coaches said, I need to, you know, do this, this, and this. And then, you know, the dietitian nutritionist said, well, I need you to supplement with this and make sure you eat this for breakfast. And then PR says, I've got this interview. And then um, I got to pick my kid up from school. You know, she was sick yesterday. And then my wife, you know, all that stuff. It's like, okay, let's take a step back and just kind of identify what are their thoughts and feelings about what I could potentially bring to the table for them? Because everybody knows nutrition is important, but a lot of like, as, as you know, at every level, it's just not being facilitated optimally. And there's reasons for it. And it's not that high on the list of priorities for the player. So it's like, okay, how can I figure out what his priorities are and how can I kind of finagle some of that information in there? And before I can do that, let me develop a relationship with this guy, because look, there's nothing sexy about telling a guy like, look, your diet right now sucks. And it's really something that's going to hold you back over the course of time. As we know, as we learn more about what these guys are going through, the internal, what are their blood biomarkers? What is their history of injury and X, Y, and Z? Like, yeah, you know, and like his body's just not in a great state. And if he continues on, like, yeah, it's just the proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back. We just don't know what it is. Is it a bad night of sleep? Is it, you know, drinking? Is it, you know, not eating and going to practice? So that, that's the biggest thing. At, at that level, your, your EQ and SQ needs to take over more than how much information you know now it doesn't now i won't i will say this you need to know what you're talking about because you can't just be the buddy buddy or oh we really like him but then you know you have a a coaching change and it's like well everybody likes him but he hasn't really added a lot of value to the team because there's too there's too many nice guys i mean as you know there's way too many people like that in the field on the flip side you have people that know a ton but they just can't converse with players and coaches or they come across as, you know, know-it-alls, or I can't talk to this guy because he's throwing words in my face and I don't understand it. So yeah, F that guy. And then another guy in, you know, in the locker room is like, yeah, F him too. And then pretty soon everybody realizes that, oh, you're the F you guy. <laughs> so it's, it's finding that fine balance between when I talk to a guy, it's like, hey, you know, I have an idea. Let, let, let's talk. Um, being there for them, not imposing exactly what i want them to do sometimes it's easy like if we're in the weight room and the guy's just messing up on a lift it's like hey let me, let me show you something i want you to do this like when you squat you're not keeping tight in your core just think about 
you know, you're flexing your glutes before you go down and then tighten up, you know, your core, like you're bracing, somebody's going to punch you in the stomach. And it's happened quite a bit. And I was like, oh man, no one's ever told me about that. It's like, okay, little things that you can kind of develop trust or, you know, you look at his medical history and there's something about concussions or X, Y, and Z and this and that. I'm like, hey, you know, I know that it's a concern for you. I've, uh, I've looked into concussions a lot. I have some ideas on what we could potentially do for you. Do you, you want to listen to them? You want to hear them? And then once you develop the relationships and you have people that can advocate for you, whether it's in the locker room or on the coaching staff, and uh, then when they associate like, hey, if he tells you to do something, do it. That's how you can start gaining but that influence, that, the good kind of notoriety. But you can only do that if you have some kind of consistency and longevity. Like if you're only there for a year or two or, you know, staffs are con continually changing out. You've got to start all over from square one, which is what we had to do every single time. So I think it's, it's finding that fine balance between getting to know the guy leveraging the relationships that you have around you. So if, if it's a rookie in a position group who just doesn't want to listen, I'm going to go to the, you know, the veteran leader who I might have a really good relationship with. I'm like, Hey, get your mans. Can you, uh, you know, if I give you the message, can you tell him? And it's like, okay, as long as he gets the message, it doesn't have to come from me. I don't care. If it comes from the cafeteria, if it comes from the training room, it comes from the other same coaches, whoever it's like, look, it's not about me giving the message. It's about, them understanding the message and if they have questions or if they want some clarification, they know who to turn to, to get some more insight. Um, specifically with the nutrition stuff, um, with your time with the giants or, or Oregon or anywhere else where you've, you've, you've dealt with kind of that stuff. Uh, I saw you post a tweet or something like that, a, like maybe a month ago, just talking about, it's not just about saying fueling a lot and, and whatnot. Yeah. And um, I'm just curious. Cause like my, my knowledge of nutrition is, pretty basic at best. Um, what are some things that like a strength coach or strength coaches should maybe think about if they have some sort of say in this beyond just like the basic things we know, like energy balance, et cetera. Yeah. I, I think it's just understanding, like, look, you can't start putting together recommendations and telling people about nutrition unless you know exactly, you know, what is it that they're going through? What's the expectation? What is the schedule like? You know, always start there first and then work backwards because you can't start planning meals and supplements until it's like, okay, what is it that they're doing? You know, how do I periodize nutrition based on their, their training periodization as well? Because it's going to change. Like your players should not be eating the same thing in terms of what their energy expenditure is um, every single day. Cause it's going to change. Like practice schedule is going to change. You're going to have a lift. You're not going to have a lift. You're going to have a guy who's injured. You're going to have a guy who needs to gain weight, needs to put on muscle mass. This guy needs to lean out. So it's all going to be varied. It's going to be very different. Um, I think understanding that first and then working backwards to say, okay, we know what the demands are for the players. And we know it's, it's um, this is the workload or this is the conditioning session, or this is the lift. So we know what we're trying to get out of it. Now let's work backwards. What did the research say? Okay. For us to get the most out of this lift, we need the players to do, you know, this before this after, and then based on their individual situation, if it's a guy who needs to maintain his weight, gain weight, whatever, work on, um, you know, decreasing inflammation, have, you know, poor micronutrient status, anything like that, then we can be a little bit more um, intentional with our recommendations for them because it's tough. You know, it's easy to say each guy needs to be doing this, this, and this, but the second that you have 70 to 90 guys coming into the facility, you know, going through the weight room into the locker room, all of it goes out the window because you have 95% of them that are not going to be compliant. 
So then it's like, okay, we can't freak out. We know that we have the appropriate resources and, and they're in place. We know that we're missing these resources. So we have to work on our education to be able to take care of that for each of the players or as the group as a whole and spend time more with explaining the why. Because like I said, every player knows, yeah, nutrition is important, but most, if not all, are failing in multiple areas. So now we got to figure out what can we do or how can we get our point across to support them and at least get them to do the things that we're trying to recommend them to do. How, how important is supplementation and, and micronutrients? Is it, because again, I see a lot of blanket statements sometimes like you need magnesium for this, blah, 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 you know, and, and uh, is it, it, does it, do those things matter if you don't have a clue, like in terms of like blood work and knowing where those levels are and what you're doing? Like, do those things matter if you don't have any knowledge of that other stuff? Yeah, I think it, it really just depends on if we look at what people can potentially get through their diet. And, and nowadays, everybody's diet's just all over the place. So we can use historical data. We can use the data we have with the players that we've tested or just things that we've observed and just get some subjective stuff from them. But the, the things that are difficult to get in the diet, you know, vitamin D, it's tough to get that from food sources. We know that as agriculture practices and industrial farming and everything has become more mainstream, from what it used to be a hundred years ago to what it is now that we're just not getting the same quality or amounts of micronutrients in the diet, especially when people are just over consuming ultra processed foods and not eating, you know, the whole foods that everybody would, we would want them to. And we understand like there are certain things now that we look at it and we take a deeper dive with what people are going through on a daily basis in terms of physical output, physical activity, stress that, yeah, things like, vitamin D, magnesium, fish oil, you know, creatine are difficult to get in the diet based on what we know and what we've observed. So some of the studies prove it. Some of our own studies that we do with the work that we do with the athletes on a day-to-day basis. Now they're not perfect, you know, double blind randomized controlled trials, but you're not going to get that for every single thing you're going to want to try to implement. I think that's when, you know, when I make those recommendations, like I've seen thousands of athletes and I've done this for over a decade. I know that this is something that is definitely missing and I've seen the blood, I've seen thousands of blood work results. So when those recommendations are made, it's kind of like a blanket statement, but also, yeah, there's a reason for it, but you know, with, with the micros, it's, it's going to be all over the place because it's easy for players to hit macros. I mean, it, to be honest, it's not hard to eat carbs, protein, and fat <laughs> yeah, for the okay, most part, yeah, yeah. unless you just have a guy who's just, I've dealt with a lot. They're just like, I just don't like to eat. It's like, Oh man. Dude, we had a, we had um, a kid last year at our pre-draft process uh, that, didn't like chocolate milk because there was bubbles in it. And you're like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> like, bro. And you know what? <laughs> I, I get it. Not everybody's going to be perfect with their eating. It's like, okay, well, let me, let me see what I can do for this guy. But then, you know, you've got the micronutrients. Uh, they are essential because the body can't make them or they need certain things to be able to make them in the body. They just don't, aren't needed in the mass quantities. That's why you have macros. We have hundreds of grams versus micros where you have hundreds of milligrams, milligrams, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's why everything plays a role, but then the kick in the face is they all feed off each other. So magnesium and calcium compete for absorption. Magnesium and zinc do the same thing. Vitamin C and calcium can't have them at the same time. Copper and iron, you know, copper and zinc. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. That's why people are like, I just need this multivitamin. It's like, well, let's kind of look at your diet first and see what you might be high in or low in and then work backwards and kind of figure that stuff out. But, you know, the, the deficiencies on that micro level 
over time can really rear its head and start affecting the way the body works. So if you're overloaded in one thing, it's going to underload you in another thing. If you're just not getting in the diet, um, say something like magnesium, well, the body is going to maintain serum levels. So what is it going to do? It's going to start pulling from bone. So when everybody says, oh, calcium for uh, bone health, I'm like, well, that's a part of it. What about all these other things that come into play that most people we already know are deficient in? Um, so essentially then what I'm gathering from this is it's like, it's great to have additional individualized insights, but there are certain things we kind of know generally as a whole, if we are unable to gather those insights would be good things to supplement with. Yeah. Okay, cool. Cool. Um, last one. I know I try to keep these to an hour, but honestly, <laughs> I feel like we could keep talking. This has been great. Um, I know. I know. Yeah. Um, you mentioned chrononutrition earlier. And so like, sometimes when I look at like a Again, this is so basic strength coach. I feel like a moron even asking, but like, you know, like a pyramid of what's important in nutrition. I always see like meal timing near the top. I imagine chrononutrition is sort of that. Maybe also just like when you're eating, um, you know, consistently over time, like you said, when there are changes to that. How important are those types of things to, to this whole picture? I think they're important, but they're not the most important thing. Like everybody's got a pyramid. I'm like, we created that stuff, you know, recovery pyramids yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> and hierarchies. And look, five players gave a crap. The others just looked <laughs> at the thing that was passed around and, you know, threw it away. But again, if it reached five players, then great. We helped out uh, 10% of the team that might be starting, you know what I'm saying? But uh, obviously nutrition is important because energy availability for players is massive. Like, you can't function if you're not eating enough calories. We, we already know this. Um, you know, sleep is always going to be probably one of the biggest things and not the most important thing that affects health and performance, even acutely. I remember having conversations, you know, in the weight room, training guys, guys that have done, worked really hard to get to where they were and had taken, you know, the advice of myself and the medical staff and everybody else to really worked on their nutrition and I remember there's, there's a lineman, a guy who would always give us his all, regardless. He, he was just gassed, you know, halfway through this lift. It's in season. He's kind of just sat down on bench and he's like, man, I just don't have it today. I'm like, hey, what's going on? I'm just talking to him, trying to gather some more information. He's like, man, I didn't sleep very well last night. And he's got kids. Yeah, that, that makes it difficult. So there's always something that can kind of affect it. And he's like, but, but, you know, I've been eating well. I feel so good. You know, I took, you know, I ate what you told me, you know, prior to the lift, you know, I took my caffeine and pre-workout. I just don't have it today. I'm like, yeah, you know, that's, it doesn't matter if you're all these other areas are perfect. Like if something like sleep isn't there, like we all know the difference. If we get a great night of sleep, how much energy we have in the morning. And if we know what it's like when we get a, a bad night of sleep, it's like, it's rough. It's struggle bus city. So, you know, with nutrition, it's, it's more of hitting their caloric amounts, the macros and micros, and then you look at, all right, um, timing of the intake, because again, depending on what they're doing, what the schedule looks like, they don't have to slam a shake right after a lift. It's like, look, if you don't have anything in the day, like there's no practice, there's no nothing else. Like it's all about the total amount of protein you eat in 24 hours. Not, I have to hit this 40 to 50 grams the second my lift is done. But, you know, once you're in those situations with the players, you know, like, oh, it's lift practice or it's practice lift. And then we're going to do it again tomorrow. And then we've got a game. And then, so, you know, like, all right, we don't have time to just wait. Like you've got to hit these things at certain times. Um, especially if we're trying to maximize muscle glycogen synthesis, it's like, look, you just don't have enough time. Like we have 24 hours before your energy demands start up again. Like I need you to eat consistently, uh, 
throughout the day to replenish that. And then you look at supplementation and then, you know, all the other stuff that comes that guys like to do with provide them with very little ROI. Yeah. Are, uh, are there any drawbacks to, you mentioned like the change in eating schedules from like your off season to your, to your training camp. What are the main drawbacks? Just, they, they end up like missing meals because it's, you know, they're not able to eat at the times they're eating. Is there something like deeper to that? No, I think, cause again, everybody's used to what they're doing. Like if you're used to not eating breakfast and you roll into a lift, if someone tells you to eat breakfast and you ate breakfast, the stomach isn't necessarily trained for it, depending on the composition of what you've eaten. If it's, you know, high in fiber and high in micronutrients, I mean, the body's getting what it needs, but it's also feeding the gut bacteria too. So you're going to have a little bit of, you know, fun in your stomach <laughs> until it gets populated and fed. And that usually goes away. I mean, most people have recognized this. Um, it, it's, it's, the adjustment to what's new more than anything. I mean, look, guys can have, you know, late night protein bolus or something, you know, an hour before they go to bed and it's not negatively, negatively going to affect them. Now, the thing with camp is you're feeding them so much and then you're giving them this late night snack. And generally it's going to be a fun item, things that guys like, you know, it's, it could be pizza, it could be burgers, it could be wings, it could be, you know, healthy versions so they can pick whichever one they want just to keep them from complaining and bitching because, you know, food fatigue is real. I've, I've, I've actually had um, a handful of people have texted me. They're like players, like just cause they're in training camp. They're like, they're already complaining about the food. I'm like, I know, I know just hang in there. Look, they can't complain about anything else. So, you know, they're always going to take shots at the thing that's easy to complain about. Yeah. And now you're feeding them this, they call it a snack. I mean, it's a massive meal. This could be upwards of like a thousand calories and you're telling them to eating it, eat it at nine o'clock at night, even though they need to get to bed. Now the body has to digest it. Now you're shifting, you know, you can stimulate circadian rhythm by light, uh, exercise, food, medication, and supplement timing. So it's, it's not ideally what you'd want them to do. So I think just with the chrono nutrition is everybody has an adjustment that they get used to. You know, you wake up, you eat or you don't eat, you go throughout your day. Um, most people are pretty similar with what they do day in and day out. They don't necessarily eat at different times, especially if you're working off a, a work schedule, which forces you like, hey, this is when you can only do it. Same thing with kids at school, you know, elementary to high school. And then when you're in college, it's different. Um, that, that's the only thing with chrono nutrition. Every This nutrition following your circadian rhythms, but understanding like, if you deviate and break from it, um, and this happens to me on the weekend, sometimes I might uh, sleep in a little bit later and then maybe I miss that normal meal and then I might start doing something and then that hunger just carries over. I'm like, oh my God, I haven't eaten in so long. And then, you know, instead of making a good decision, it's like, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to go to this place and get, you know, biscuits, gravy or something, you know, something like that. And the same thing when you're trying to force somebody to eat at a time that they're not used to, and they're like, well, I'm not hungry. Well, what do you do in that case? It's like, okay, well, we'll just wait till that hunger builds up and hopefully there's a meal for them. Well, what if that hunger builds up and the meal isn't scheduled for another three hours? It's like, you know, you're trying to find that fine balance between, because again, everybody's schedule and circadian rhythms are going to be different. That's too funny, man. I actually am thinking about this in the reverse for me because uh, I'm usually an avid Chipotle goer every night and I just started dating someone and we're having salad a lot and it's just destroying me. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm like, where's my goddamn Chipotle? Like, <laughs> need, need that in my system. So it is kind of funny, like even switching to a healthy choice, like in this case for me, like has had 
some potentially negative side effects. Hopefully we're getting through that now, but you know, <laughs> hopefully it'll be worth it in the end. It better be, it better get that. Yeah. Shred, I mean, shred you're giving back. up Chipotle for her. She should realize <laughs> this is a big deal. This is massive. I don't get my uh, bowl every night, you know, <laughs> um, you know, uh, Pratik, thank you so much, man, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, I know you are doing some of your own ventures now, so whatever you would like to promote, uh, please have at it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, look, I've been just posting on, Twitter and Instagram quite a bit more. My handle's at Pratik X Patel. I haven't advertised all my services, but you know, I work with athletes and non-athletes one-on-one. So a variety of different clientele athletes from like high school up to professional level, but also a handful of coaches too, and execs and admins, which I think is something that I've been able to observe over time, how bad habits are for a lot of coaches a lot of you know upper management people and how much yeah (laughs) and how valuable it is to help them understand like look we can make a lot of changes looking at everything from a bird's eye view you know 360 degree view of what can be done to get you healthy so that's one of the biggest things that I've been able to do with athletes is get them to feel healthier and better than they ever felt in their entire life. And that was the goal from not just nutrition, it's exercise, it's training, it's movement, it's stress management, it's sleep. It's, it's all of it. Um, but also going to be working with, uh, here and, and, and strength, coach Net- strength coach network, putting out an advanced sports nutrition course for fundamentals too. So be on the lookout for that. Nice. That's going to be major putting together a resource. that's going to be available, uh, hopefully starting at the beginning of next year. Um, it's more looking into periodized nutrition over the course of an entire year and, uh, yeah, doing, doing consulting with some teams. So high school up to professional, just in a variety of different ways, just kind of helping them enhance their processes and making sure that they're maximizing what they can do for their athletes and for their staff. So it's not just limited to a performance and health side. It's more of communication and integration too. Cool, man, dude, that's, that's really awesome. Honestly, I might have to to hit you up at some point here because down the road that's what i would like to be doing as well so some something along those lines so um really appreciate get your insights today man and uh anything else you want to you want to leave with no 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 just uh i know a lot of people have asked me like it's been almost a year since i left the nfl they're like well how's it been you know i want to get your insights and it's like look being able to work in team sport was great you know i got a chance to do what i love and what i studied you know nutrition and exercise science and physiology and coaching up to a point where I learned a ton of stuff and got to learn a lot about myself and learn a lot about working with others and communicating. And, um, and now the goal is to be able to share that information with as many people as possible. And I know there's a lot of coaches and practitioners that are working their way up and trying to figure out, you know, how do they fit in and how, if you're not a part of a big network, like I was, I had no mentors. I had nobody to teach me any of this stuff. I just maximized my skills and opportunities that I had trying to look at things through a different lens and be different than everybody else. Cause again, if you do what everybody does, you're going to get what everybody does. That's the result. And again, not thinking like you can be credible or you're only worth a shit. If you work in the NFL, or if you work with pro teams, like there's not a whole lot you can do once you get to those levels to really feel like you're making people better. It's more like, don't screw it up. And you're fixing a lot of problems as it goes along the way. So I think, you know, coaches and practitioners just figuring out what they can bring to the table and do something that nobody else has done or do something that's novel better than anybody else. 
I think that's a good way to add a lot of value because now I'm thinking like, man, it's, it's fun working with these high school kids that I'm working with because I can help develop them and get them to a better point as opposed to them kind of figuring off and, and doing things out on their own. For sure, man. Dude, that's very well said. I, I really appreciate your time, Pratik, and uh, really, uh, you know, thank you. Appreciate it. No, thanks for having me on. Hey, absolutely, man.